0: Privilege to welcome you this morning for our morning worship service, and now our scripture reading that comes from Matthew chapter one. If you don't have a Bible of your own, our ushers have Bibles available. If you raise your hand, they'll bring a Bible to you that you can use throughout our service this morning. Matthew chapter one. Let's all stand then, in respect to the reading. God's Holy Word. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Solomon, and Solomon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiod, and Abiod the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliad, and Eliad the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the, to the Christ, 14 generations. Now the birth of Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, I'm going to read also from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, just a few verses, starting at verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. in the Lord. May God give us understanding in this first of a series of messages in this Christmas season. Let's take some time for prayer. After prayer, a choir will come with special music and in the preaching of God's word today. Father, we thank you for your grace and for your comfort. We thank you for allowing us to be here today. We thank you in our presence. There are those who are grieving the loss of a loved one. We think, yeah. Lord, we think of Trinaise and Dale, and the loss of Trinaise's mom, the funeral coming up this Saturday. We just pray for comfort in that family. We pray that you would bless the, the process of grieving so that there's opportunity for those who are saved to speak truth yeah. and for others to see, even during this grieving process, that jesus is king in their life he is to be glorified in all things we do pray for cal and marge and the loss of cal's brother and we do pray lord that you would bring comfort uh, during this time lord we don't know all the reasons why you allow things to happen as they do but we just pray that you bring comfort and that you would allow their testimony to be shared in the family and that uh, Christ might be presented in their life and in the message of their lips, Lord, so that others that don't know him might have that opportunity. We thank you now for this season that we're in, that we might keep our focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. Bless this series of messages, bless the preaching of your word. We pray for Brian and Heidi who are away in Indiana, and Brian is preaching this morning, so we pray your power be with him. Those who hear that message there, bless us now, in the preaching of your word here. Let all who hear it bring glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. I enjoy preaching in the Christmas season. It's a challenge. It's a challenge because the focus in the world is never on Christ. I see commercials that want to bring you in and draw you into this feeling and just sweep you away. But it's empty because they leave out the whole purpose and the whole meaning of what we do. And so they want you to get caught up in flow and this song and, and forget what it's all about. As Christians, we dare not forget what Christmas is about. The Christmas story is a story of Christ. It shows God's sovereignty, his power, his love. In his grace, in his sovereignty, God brings about his plan to bring his son into the world in difficult, sinful, chaotic, and wicked circumstances. His power, in his power, he overcomes every human and spiritual obstacle and places what mankind needs, a ruler that will rule in righteousness and power. His love, God in His love brings to mankind what is desperately needed and what is lacking. That's a Savior, a Deliverer to shepherd His people, and to do that from a motivation of love. In His grace, God provides in Christ what mankind does not deserve and cannot provide for itself, and that is one who forgives and saves his people from their sin. In God's sovereignty, he does this in a most unusual way and through unexpected circumstances. Grace in the Christmas story. Let's take a look starting at Matthew chapter 1. We read that entire chapter, but today I want to just look at a few verses there and keep that thought of grace. How does God show his grace in the Christmas story? It says here in Matthew 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And it starts off with the son of David, the son of Abraham, pointing out Jesus' link humanly through his, his human descendants, through Abraham, both Abraham and David. And then it shows you how that's connected. So you and I might know. It says Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Now I know sometimes all those names, we just kind of get lost in those names. <laughs> But you ought not get lost in those names. Those names were given for a reason. And today I want to look at four names and four individuals that depict and show God's grace in bringing his son to earth. And those four names, the first one is Tamar. In verse 3, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, by Tamar. So in my Bible, I kind of circled Tamar. I'm going to talk about her today. That's a female. And Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. Ram the father of Benadab, of, of Menadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Solomon. And Solomon the father of Boaz, by Rahab. Notice the word, by Rahab. And Boaz the father of Obed, by Ruth. So we're going to look at Tamar, Rahab, and Ruth. We'll be going further. Obed the father of of Jesse, Jesse the father of David the king and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Doesn't even mention her name. Her name is Bathsheba. Four ladies in the story of Christ's birth in the lineage of Christ. Notice with each one of them it says by. In other words the men are prominent in this story and they are prominent in the genealogy in Israel in their history because they listed by the man but there are four circumstances here where women are 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 listed as well and it shows them it's like tacking their name on here's the man but the woman that had the child was Tamar it's Tamar and then Rahab and then Ruth and then Bathsheba The reason why this shows the grace of God, as I mentioned, is men who took the prominent place in society in that day and also in the lineage of their, uh, their, their line or their family. And Jesus is linked to these men. He's linked to Abraham and he's linked to David for very important reasons. One... The Old Testament said that he would be, that the Christ who came would be linked there. So it's important that Jesus fulfilled that. And the reason why he is linked to them, because Abraham, we talked about Abraham some when we looked at our Galatians series, and we saw that God had made a promise to Abraham that preceded the law. And God had promised through Abraham, in fact, the way Galatians said, the the, the scripture preached the gospel. (laughs) In the Old Testament, by saying through Abraham, God was going to bring a blessing through all the world. And that blessing came in the person of Jesus Christ. So Jesus is linked to Abraham. He's linked to David because God made promises to David too. He says, there's going to be a king that comes from you that is going to rule forever now he wasn't just saying things he said I'm going to bring a king into the world that's gonna rule forever I don't know about you but I was disappointed with our elections it came up for a number of reasons one is the person I voted for didn't win that's a big reason and secondly because such a mess was made and is made in the whole process and I have little confidence that our salvation comes through the political process anyway (laughs) even when the person I vote for wins my confidence is not in them it's in the Lord And when they don't win, my confidence, disappointment is not in the Lord. (laughs) It's in them. God is able, in spite of who is in the office, to bring about his purpose and his will and I glory in that and that alone. That's why I can sleep at night to the degree that I can. God is bringing about his purpose and his plan. He shows his grace in that man cannot mess that up. That's good to know. I don't care what you do with elections and and all this, you can't mess up God's plan. He's going to put in place his plan and he's going to make it happen. I don't care what technology you use. I don't care what lack of morals you may have in the process you do or what you do to do get done what you think you need to get done. I don't care what power you have or position you play. God is going to accomplish his purpose, and I have great confidence and great comfort Amen. in that. And he shows that. It's like God, you know, sometimes God just do stuff, and I say, Lord, you're just showing off. He said, yeah, so that I will get the glory. I want you to see it's me. So he does this thing in such a way. We're going to look at three or four women here that show God's glorious grace in this Christmas story. The first one is Tamar. A strange heritage, Tamar. Tamar... Is in the line of Judah, obviously, because we know that Jesus is. We call him a lion of the tribe of Judah, right? What does that mean, the tribe of Judah? Well, what, what does that really mean? Well, to get a real quick uh, uh, snapshot of it, you can turn to First Chronicles chapter two in your Old Testament. First Chronicles chapter two. And I'm going to go verses 1 through 5. Some names there, but if you would just struggle through with me, you'll you'll see the benefit of it. Are you with me, 1 Chronicles? All right. These are the sons of Israel. Can I stop? Israel, known as Jacob. So we had Abraham. Remember, Abraham couldn't have no children until he was 100 years old. He had a son when he was 86, but that wasn't the one God promised. That was Ishmael. And then at 100, he had who? Isaac, right? So there's Abraham. There was Isaac. And then Isaac had two twin boys. Remember that? The story kind of is about twins when you think about it. we get to another twin in just a moment. Two twin boys, Jacob and Esau, right? Right? Am I right so far? Okay. I just want to make sure I'm I'm thinking right. Y'all have to keep me in check. So we have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob uh, uh, is that song when I was a kid, we used to sing about him. We are climbing Jacob's ladder. We are, yeah, that was about Jacob. Jacob had a, had a meeting with God, and he began to see God's plan. He said, God, if you, if you get me through this, I'll worship and serve you for the rest of my life. And God got him through that. And God changed Jacob's name to Israel. That's where we get the name Israel from. God changed Jacob's name to Israel. And Jacob had 12 sons. So let's look at their names. In 1 Chronicles chapter 2, these are the sons of Israel. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. Issachar and Zebulun. Dan, Joseph, Benjamin, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. Now you can count them, the sons of Israel. Of Judah. Now, he picks out Judah. That's one of the sons of Israel. In fact, he, Judah is the fourth son of Jacob. You look at the beginning of that verse. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. And he takes Judah and he starts to list his children. The sons of Judah, Er, Onan, and Shelah. These three, Bathsheba, that's the, the, the mother... The Canaanite bore to him. Now, Er, Judah's firstborn, was evil in the sight of the Lord, and he put him to death. His daughter-in-law, Tamar, also bore him Perez and Zerah. Judah had five sons in all. That's the story we're going to look at when we look at Tamar's life. All right. It's going to be a test on this later. And correct spelling is going to be expected. <laughs> All right. So we're looking at Jacob had 12 sons. And we're looking at the fourth son that he had was Judah. Because Jesus is of the line of Judah. That's, that's why we're, we're looking at him. Judah is said to have three sons by his first wife. And then he had two other sons by another woman, and this woman's name is Tamar. We need to see who in the world is Tamar. All right, that's where we're going. So let's take a look at Genesis chapter 38. Back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 38. We went to 1 Chronicles because it kind of played it all out for us in the line, and now we go into the story of how it happened in Genesis 38. Okay. Can, can, can I read a little bit for you? Because you'll see how this goes right with First Chronicles. It happened at that time. Can I stop there? <laughs> it happened at that time. Th- chapter 38 is a parenthesis in the life of Joseph. If you've ever been reading Joseph's story, I always wondered, when I was a little kid, I, my, my, my mom and dad gave me a Bible storybook. Great present for, for parents. They had all these crazy video games that they do for hours. They gave me a Bible story, and I actually read it. You can tell now, right? <laughs> I actually read it. I read it and then I would get the Bible and try to figure out well how come the Bible it lined up but it, the Bible didn't seem like it, it, it was it was going in a life story of one person. It, it, all these other people were kind of in the story and, and I kind of got confused. and so well I, I love the story of Joseph. I'm not talking about Mary and Joseph in the New Testament, I'm talking about Joseph who was one of the sons of Jacob. And it gives you the, the story of Joseph, and in chapter 37 gives you kind of how, how his brothers hated him, right? He had the, 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 the coat of many colors, and they hated him, and, and, and they, uh, they eventually jumped him and, you know, uh, sold him as a slave. Now chapter 38 comes in right there. And it's like, it's got nothing to do with Joseph. And then you go all the way through chapter 30, then you get to chapter 39, you get Joseph again. So you say, what in the world is chapter 38 doing right in the middle of the life of Joseph? Well, chapter 38 is all about Judah and Tamar. And Tamar is this one that we're interested in. So let's start at chapter 38, verse 1. it happened at that time that Judah went down from his brothers and turned aside to a certain Adulamite, whose name was Hira. There Judah saw the daughters of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. He took her and went into her, and she conceived and bore a son and called his name Er. She conceived again and bore a son, called his name Onan, two sons. Yet again she bore a son, called his name Shelah. All right. Verse 6. Judah took a wife for Er, the firstborn, and her name was Tamar. All right. So Judah found this woman in Canaan, and he got married, and they had three boys. The first and the oldest one, his name was E-R, or Er, it Er, right? Come here, Er! <laughs> Would you like to be named? That's like, like a name you ought to name your dog, right? Er! <laughs> Don't be growling at me. Er! So Er got married to Tamar. All right. Interesting verse 7. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord and the Lord put him to death. The Bible doesn't give us any clarification. What happened? What he did? How it all happened? It's just that he was wicked and the Lord took him. Now, what, what we need to learn from that is that God don't play. And God is the same God today. He sees wickedness. I, I, I hear stories about folks, you know, who, who live lifestyles, and they don't want to be told that it's wrong. I live as I please. We, get, we got commercials now who, who just show open homosexuality on the commercials as if we're supposed to accept that. We're supposed to be okay with that. And don't ever tell somebody that that's sinful, wicked, and an abomination to God. That's what it is, and I just said it. It's abomination to God. Now, I don't know that that's what Ur was involved in. It doesn't tell us what he's involved in, but my point is this. God's standard in holiness does not change from Old Testament to New Testament, from beginning to end. He's still the same holy God. And so when God says something is wrong, you and I ought to pay attention to it and not tell somebody, get out of my business, I live as I please. You might live as you please, but you have to answer to God. It says his deeds was wicked in the sight of God, and God took them. God killed them. God said, I'm done with this. The reason why we need to see that is there's no understanding of grace until we understand God's judgment. How are we going to appreciate God's grace if we think God just let everybody slide and do as they please? He doesn't. said, I don't like what you're doing, and I'm going to bring it to an end. And that's what he did. Let's keep going. Then Judah said to Onan, that's his second son, go into your brother's wife and perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her and raise up offspring for your brother. Now, we don't quite understand that culture. But there's nothing wrong in what Judah told his son to do. Here's what the law was. Here's what the culture was. And it was... It was It was pushed by God. He says, look, if a man gets married and doesn't have any children, then his wife, is his his other brothers are to take her as a wife and raise up children to her so that his seed, the dead man's seed, the dead brother's seed, will continue, his name will continue. Remember that crazy story that the Pharisees came to Jesus with. You remember that story? He said, hey, hey, Jesus, uh, uh, let me ask you this. Uh, there was a man who uh, got married, and he didn't have no children, then he died. Then his second brother took his wife, but he didn't have no children, and his died. And then his third brother took his wife, and he didn't have no children, and then he died. And then his fourth brother took his wife, and they didn't have no children, but they didn't have no children, and he died. And they went down to seven of them. And he says, when we get into heaven, into the kingdom, who is she going to be married to? Remember that story? They asked Jesus that question because of that process. See, they was making fun of God's principles and acting like God ain't had things thought out. God didn't know what he was doing. See, people do that when they don't like what God says and don't make sense to them, and so they just ridicule what God says and do their own thing. They cause more of a mess than anything that God would have us to be a part of. And so this was a process, and so Onan was to take uh, Tamar as his wife and raise up children, but he didn't want to do that, and he didn't. And it says, you can read verse 9. I'm going to pick up at verse 10. What he did was wicked in the sight of the Lord. and He put him to death also. This is God speaking. You want to hear God talk? <laughs> He'll show you what he thinks about something. by how he acts. God was upset with Onan for not fulfilling his responsibilities as he should have. And he put Onan to death. So Judah had two sons, so far Ur and Onan, and Tamar had been married to Ur, passed down to Onan, and Onan didn't fulfill his responsibilities. He was dead, and so Tamar was a widow twice, widowed by the first brother, widowed by the second brother, and now the situation comes up. Verse 11, then Judah said to Tamar, so Judah is the father, Tamar is the daughter-in-law, right? She had been married to the oldest son, she had been married to the second son, and now both of them have died, and Judah says to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, remain a widow in your father's house till Shelah, my son, grows up. So Shelah was his youngest son. He says, all right. Be faithful. Wait for my son to grow up. He's the youngest. He got a, you got a few years on him, so he ain't there yet. For he feared that he would die like his brothers. So Tamar went and remained in her father's house. So what's happening? Something was wrong in Judah's household, wasn't it? <laughs> The Bible doesn't elaborate what was going on, but it says Judah feared that his third son was going to die too because apparently he wasn't doing right either. He was fearing that God was going to take him. I I don't know what was going to happen there or what was happening, but we're not given that information. But here's the point. Tamar went and remained in her father's house. Tamar was faithful. Tamar was faithful. Tamar was a widow twice over. She was older than this third son, and she she's gonna wait for him to grow up so she could have a third husband. Now, you can ridicule that and you're thinking, because we're free to do in our culture to do different things, do things differently, and, and that's fine. But we got some worse things in our culture than this. Um, than a woman waiting and 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 saying, I'm gonna be faithful and I'm just gonna wait for this guy and see what's gonna happen. But that's what she did. Tamar was faithful. Judah was not. It said from the get, he feared that Shelah, his third son, was going to get killed anyway. Verse 12 In the course of time, the wife of Judah, Shua's daughter, died. So Judah has his wife die. He, he no longer has a wife. When Judah was comforted, he went up to Timnah to his sheep shears. He and his friend Hira the Adulamite, and when Tamar was told your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's garments, covered herself with a veil, wrapped herself up, and sat at the entrance of Enam, which is on the road to Timnah, for she saw that Shelah was grown up, or Shelah was grown up, and she had not been given him in marriage. So Judah told her, "Just wait; my third son is going to grow up, and when he grows up." You'll be his wife and things will work out. You'll carry on the line of Ur. But she saw that that wasn't happening. Judah did not keep his word. Tamar was faithful. Judah didn't keep his word. Now look what happens. When Judah saw her, Verse 15, he thought she was a prostitute. She had covered her face. Why did he think she was a prostitute? Because she dressed like one. She put on the garb, the robe, she dressed up like a prostitute. And she was going to take in Judah as her customer. Verse 16, he turned to her at the roadside and said, Come, let me come in to you. We did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. She said, What will you give me that you may come in to me? He said, (laughs) excuse me. He answered, I will send you a young goat from the flock. And she said, If you give me a pledge until you send it. He said, What pledge shall I give you? She replied, Your signet and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her and he went in to her. She conceived by him. And she arose, went her way. Went away, taking off her veil. She put on the garments of her widowhood. She did this event. Now, I'm not going to condemn her or justify her. Just state what she did. She dressed up like a prostitute, knowing that her father-in-law was coming down that same path, knowing what kind of man he was, and she caught him. She tricked him. Before they... Before... They went together. She said, well, hey, he asked, well, how much do I pay? He says, well, I paid the, the rate. And she said, well, give me something before that. Give me your, your pledge. She took personal items from him so that she would be sure to be able to identify him later because he didn't know who she was. Look at verse 20. When Judah sent the young goat by the, his friend, the Adullamite, to take back the pledge from the woman's hand, he didn't find her. And he asked the men of the place, Where is the cult prostitute? Who was at named at the roadside. And they said, No cult prostitute has been here. So he returned to Judah. It's interesting that he was seeing his friend out there. <coughs> it, it's an interesting play. On personality. Judah is honest but immoral. You see that? He honest. He want to pay the fee, but he's immoral. He want to sleep with a woman that's not his wife. And he don't want to be dishonest about it. Look, just because you have traits of goodness in you don't mean God is in you. Don't mean that you're serving him. wasn't thinking about nothing but his self and he had a pride about being honest I told her I was going to pay her I'm going to pay her I'm going to send my, my boy over there to pay her he sent his boy over there and he couldn't find her they made they ridicule dude ain't no prostitute over here we, who are you talking about we live here all the time ain't, ain't nobody like that they were right too Verse 22 So he returned to Judah and said, I've not found her. Also, the men of the place said, No co-prostitute has been here. And Judah replied, Let her keep the things as her own, or we should be laughed at. You see, I sent this young goat, you did not find her. About three months later, mm-hmm, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has been immoral. Moreover, she is pregnant. By immorality, Judah said, "Bring her out and let her be burned." He's a hypocrite, isn't he? He has morals when it comes to what others should do, but when it comes to himself, he doesn't see it the same way. He doesn't. He says, "Let her be burned." Now let's look what happened. She wasn't dumb. It says, verse 25, As she was being brought out, she sent word to her father-in-law, By the man to whom these belong, I am pregnant. Please identify whose these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. Then Judah identified them and said, She is more righteous than I, since I did not give her to my son Shelah. And he did not know her again. He got the point. She is more righteous than he because she was committed to that lineage that should have been produced through Judah's sons. And he wasn't. And because of that, God had already taken his son, Onan. We're not told exactly why he took her. But we are told why he took Onan, why he killed Onan. Let's finish this story. Verse 27. When the time of her labor came, there were twins in her womb. And when she was in labor, one put out a hand and the midwife took and tied a scarlet thread on his hand saying, this one came out first. You can understand that, she's giving birth. And they wanna identify the firstborn because that he had certain rights and, and privileges as the firstborn, even if it's twins. So when the first one was coming out, they put a little, little uh, piece of yarn around his hand to, to identify, you know, you can, you can imagine we got twins, you can easily get them mixed up, which one is which. This one is the first one and that's what they did. Um, verse 29, but as he drew back his hand, behold, his brother came out <laughs> So they thought he was going to be born first, but he wasn't. She said, "What a breach you have made for yourself." Therefore his name was called Perez. Afterward, his brother came out with the scarlet thread on his hand, and he was called Sherah, or Zerah. So you have Perez and Zerah. Let's go back to, uh, back to Matthew. Chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers in Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. So it's Perez who um, they follow this lineage with, who's a twin son of Judah. I thought I'd get through all four today, but I always bite off more than I can chew. And you knew it, didn't you? <laughs> so we're just going to get through this one today. Tamar, what a story. You can say there's things in her life that, you know, you can look up to her for and appreciate. You can also say things in her life that uh, kind of ain't right. You can also see things in her life that that she is... Um, a victim of circumstance, so to speak. She's widowed twice over. That wasn't her fault. She gets scammed by a dishonest father-in-law. But then she scams him back. (laughs) And all this in the line of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And what does it tell us? This simply, God can take a mess and bless. (laughs) God can take stuff that you would not think that he could take and use it to bring it to his glory. God intended to take this mess. He he mentions it in Matthew. He said, I'm not going to just tell you the, the great names like Abraham and David. Let me tell you what happened in between because I want you to see what I did and how it shows my sovereign plan and man can't mess it up and man can't, can't deny me of doing what I promised to do and in spite of man's wickedness, scheming, and sinfulness, I still bring about my plan which is for my glory and your good God says I determined to bring my son it's it's given this way in a book we've been studying Galatians chapter 4 verse 3 and 4 it says in the fullness of time God sent forth his son born under the law born of a woman just like you and I were born there was something special about that. God had his hand, and God is scheming and planning and determining the outcome for his glory. He brings his son into the world even through messed up situations like, like Judah and Tamar. How can you get more strange and messed up than that? But that's the line of our Savior. To show that God works in a sinful world to bring a savior to sin He saves us from sin and he is not his plan is is not toppled by the wickedness and the strangeness of man now we can all relate to that you got something in your heritage you may not be real proud of or something that, that you know, many times we think that my, my situation is just too bad. God, God don't want nothing to do with me. I came from a mess. Don't think that way because God doesn't think that way. God says, I can take you right as you are and I can bring about my purpose, yes, through you. We would think that Jesus would come from a perfect line, but there are none. There are no perfect human lines. We would think because of that, maybe God wouldn't bring him through a human way. God would just say, hey, I'm going to bring you out of heaven. and You have no tie to human beings at all. That wasn't God's purpose. That's not his plan. He brought us a Savior which is Son of Man and Son of God to fulfill the purpose that God had for him. I want you to see that God works in the real world. (laughs) I studied to be an engineer in college, and, and we would take theory and try to make it work in the real world. We always have a challenge. Because in paper, you can write it straight and make it right, and it looks good, and it passes every test. But then when you build it, there are imperfections built into that process. And you realize it's not quite as smooth or easy as you have written or planned or designed it out. God never has that particular problem because he works in the real world and he's able to overcome every obstacle that faces that he faces because he's God. And he does that... Be, His grace is what provides us with what we need even though we don't deserve it. God is saying there's nothing stopping me from sending my son and him accomplishing my purpose in your life. Your life can't be too messed up that I can't work in it. Your life is not too removed from me that I can't reach you. Your life is not too overdone or far gone that I can't bless and I can't work. God says nothing, that's what Mary said, nothing is impossible with God. Father, we thank you for your glorious plan. We thank you, Lord, that it's fit, is fitting for us. It doesn't require us that we be sinless or perfect or in any way because we already have a sinless and perfect Savior who represents us. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your sovereign plan reaches into the crevices (laughs) the ugly spots where we live and you work right on our level we thank you for that father it's nothing too hard for you Lord we we want to bring you glory we want to give you glory you said not many noble are called you have chosen the weak things of the world. You brought your son through weak elements. It says, not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth, but Lord, you chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. You chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. You chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of you. We thank you for how you do things. We bring you glory for how you do things. And it takes away all of our excuses. I pray, Lord, that you would just call us to surrender to you right now and how you work you're able to work in every person in every life here right now we pray that you will challenge our hearts encourage our hearts through who you are through your truth in Jesus name we pray